Hi, this is Sergeant Betsy Brander-Smith with the National Police Association, and this is the NPA Report. So I don't know who, what to call my next guest here. Uh, do I call him Lieutenant? Do I call him Doctor? Uh, do I call him Author? Do I call him Politician? He's got so many titles, so much going on, and he is someone I am so excited for you to meet. Dr. Mark Sherwood, welcome to the program. Betsy, thanks for having me. I know we've been trying to make this happen for a while, and I'm super excited and honored to be with you today. So uh, let's, first of all, let's let's talk about your career. Um, you mm. uh, started as a police officer, and then, wow, things just took off. But talk about your time mm. on the police department. It was one of my greatest times of my life, you know, prior to becoming a police officer, I actually played professional baseball for a year over in Australia and didn't make the major leagues and needed a job. So I knew someone that was uh, working at the local police department and I thought, hey, what an exciting career. And so I decided to test and, uh, you know, 24 years later, I was still there. Um, but during my time, uh, lots of amazing experiences with some incredible heroes um, that I learned to really love and appreciate. And I saw the greatest honor, the greatest heroism by those people that serve the communities every single day without much um, accolades, I might add. And then during my time in the police department, I was able to work on the SWAT team for a decade, which was a great experience as well. And I closed out my career uh, working at the training division, having the wonderful opportunity to do background investigations, training, recruiting, and um I was over the uh, Hispanic outreach program and the wellness program and things of that nature. So it was a great experience, great time, and uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. It makes me who I am today. So I want to talk more about that in a minute, but I want people mm -hmm. to know that uh, during your police career, doing all of that, you decided you weren't busy enough. So you went back <laughs> to school. Talk about that. Yeah, um, I got into the wellness part of law enforcement. I know we're going to come back to that, but it, it struck a chord in me that um, people were dying. And I want to know why people were dying through life instead of living through life. And it bothered me, Betsy, that, um, you know, I saw people increasingly use drugs and I, something didn't feel right. And during my time in the police department, I might add, is my mother who was addicted to pain pills committed suicide. So I had a personal investment of that and personal pain involved. So I wanted to see what I could do to bring healing into people's lives. And so I decided to go back to school and become a, a naturopathic doctor. And now uh, my wife and I, we've written uh, several number one best-selling books. We actually make movies, which is kind of cool. We've made four. And um, actually just finished up a run for governor of Oklahoma. And we just try to just be out there and bring um, hope to people because, man, you know, uh, in law enforcement, you can get real cynical and uh, life can sort of become jaded to you. And that attitude contributes to the downfall or the demise of people people's lives. So, again, I think that all encapsulizes what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring healing into people's lives and and truly protect and serve, which is kind of what we all do, right? You know, doctor, we have an extraordinary drug addiction problem mm -hmm. in this country. Uh, most yeah. recently, we've been talking about fentanyl. Yeah. What do you think drives that appetite of the American public um, toward hardcore drugs? And what do we do about it? 
Well, I think we've got a problem that stems, um, Betsy, from Big Pharma being able to advertise to the public. Big Pharma has become too powerful. And right now, people are in flat-out bondage to Big Pharma. One in four Americans are antidepressant drugs, and some of those are cops, right? It's not okay. Nobody is born with an antidepressant deficiency. That's a statement that people need to internalize right now. Our body is not made to uh, wake up one day and all of a sudden become depressed chronically the next. So with Big Pharma advertising, Big Pharma funding medical education, Big Pharma driving government and lobbyists, et cetera, Big Pharma driving the narrative, we have this dependency, if you will, on a pill for an ill to fix me. And that's completely wrong. In Copland, as I used to call it, we don't talk about nutrition at all. We don't talk about the basis and the foundation for creating these things called neurotransmitters, namely serotonin, which keeps you from not being depressed, and dopamine, which keeps you happy. And so people walk around kind of in a zombie. They don't know what to do. They're lost. and They're looking to numb out. Hence, we see the opioid effect. People just want to numb out, check out, because they're, they don't want to deal with today. Because the world is pretty dark, and I get that. But it makes people want to check out. And, and all of that tied together creates this funnel into where we are today. And now we are a nation that's completely addicted to big pharma and drugs as our first line therapy to provide healing and hope for people. And that is a really sad place to be. And we can turn it around, but it's going to be about people thinking differently uh, through broadcasts like this, begin to look at your own lives and say, I'm not going to become a victim of that, or I'm not going to become, become a prisoner of that. And, uh, and, and that's the start of victory, I believe. When we talk about first responders, particularly police officers, um, our average diet, especially if you're in patrol, is horrific. Mm -hmm. You know, you're yeah. living on fast food or whatever you can get at the 7-Eleven that's open all night. Um, and then you you take that, combine that with very often fatigue, a lot of times yeah. extreme fatigue, and um, uh, somewhat of a dependence on, like you said, whether it's prescription drugs or alcohol to numb yep. all this trauma and tragedy and depravity that we see every night at work. Wow. How do you treat that? I've said it, and I started talking about this 30 years ago, that um, lifestyle and, and officer wellness is an officer safety issue. And it's something more of an officer safety issue. It should be absolutely mandatory every single year in our sort of continuing education that we do. And I watch people avoid that. And, it, and frankly, it breaks my heart. It still breaks my heart. I tried while I was there, Betsy. And I tried after I left to go back into police departments. And I was willing to volunteer my time to teach them how to do that. And, and I'll just say it. There was a rebellion against that. And I'm sorry, but it was a, it's a rebellion that's costing us. There's nothing more tragic to me than seeing an officer who's out there serving and protecting, giving their very all. And I've been there, man, with my vest and my gun, fatigue, watching people die, having to take people's freedom away. Man, I've watched people suffer through that for 20, 25, 30 years. They work for all that retirement, and then they die. 
And that's not okay by me. We've got to do better than that. And I plead with people today, even if I can affect one law enforcement officer, one leader out there, and this is key, the leaders out there in the departments, the chiefs, the deputy chiefs, the sheriffs, you got to lead the way, man. It's not what's, what's good for thee is not good for me. You have to lead the way. Leaders need to lead by more than just what they say, more than what their insignia or their badges do, more than what the position shows. Lead by what you do. Otherwise, your words mean nothing. The greatest thing you can give your officers, the greatest thing you can give your deputies is the gift of life and the gift of hope. And so I, I'm hoping that what I just said will hit the, the heartstrings of somebody out there to make a difference. What would you say to a police officer who says, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of feeling yeah. like crap. I, I'm tired of being exhausted. Hmm. I'm, what's, how do I start making changes? Well, first of all, realize you can. <laughs> you know, you're not hopeless. Um, you may be alone for a time, but you're really not. I mean, I've had people that have reached out to me, my old buddies and colleagues, and says, hey, how can we help? And, and we'll help. But that's not the point. You know, you, you need a buddy to help you, but you most of all need to learn to help yourself. Police officers have learned to navigate many waters alone, and many times they go into their cocoon and hide and don't share their emotions with anybody, which is both good and bad. But this is an area that they can win too. So they need to understand that they can get some hope and they have to take it apart one day, one thought, one action at a time. And there's four areas that police have control over. And really all humans have control over. We have control over what we put in our mouth, which means nobody's going to tell me what to eat. I can eat what I want, when I want, how I want. And I carried my lunch around for a better part of 20 years. And I got ridiculed by it. And I would bring my lunch into uh, restaurant establishments and they would let me sit there and eat it. And I took a lot of ribbing and a lot of jokes, but I didn't care because it was the right thing to do. People still remember that. So you can crawl nutrition. You can always find stuff out there. And we always coach people up on how to find stuff or take it with you. Number two, you have to exercise. There is no question about that. The only day you don't exercise should be the, the day you don't, don't live. Because that's the only way to metabolize that, gen, that um, adrenaline. You've got to get some sleep. And if you're working extra jobs out there trying to get extra money, I get it. But debt will kill you. Get out of debt. Don't have improper spending and budgetary uh, habits. And work on getting seven to eight hours of sleep. I don't care if you have to take melatonin. Do it. Melatonin is not going to hurt you, despite what your local uh, non-practitioner slash practitioner would say. And number four, learn to deal with stress by learning this powerful truth. This is kind of a key one. Stress is not a noun. It's a verb. Stress is an action you take in response to life's expected or unexpected occurrences, meaning you have control over that. If you put it as a noun, it will control you. But if you put it as a verb properly and appropriately, you will have control. And you have to not hang out with cops all the time. Go find something else to do, man. Go back to school. Become a nature path. I don't know. Go play a violin. Do something completely off the grid. That's key. And then if you're married out there, I'm serious about this, along the stress complex or component, you got to have a date night with your lady or your husband, 
You have to. I don't care who calls. Nobody gets involved in that life. So date night would be synonymous with even taking some vacations, right? But those four things, nutrition, you know, uh, activities, uh, sleep and stress management, those are the things to start. And you start it with one decision at a time. That is such a perfect answer. And and uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to take this clip and put it in my classes that I teach police officers. Yeah, please because do. Like you said, police officer wellness is mm. officer safety. And I don't think yeah. we talk about that enough. Now, when you talk about, you know, big pharma and the government, you do a lot of media work as well. I, I love to hear you and, and listen to you when you're on uh, mm. various outlets. You made a decision to like you weren't busy enough to run for governor what uh what helped you make that decision to put yourself out there and run for the governor of oklahoma well i, I didn't fall down and hit my head on a rock you know or anything like that but honestly it was through um through prayer. I just knew that God had called me to step up. And uh, and honestly, Betsy, it wasn't about winning or losing. It was about, um, do you have the courage to say yes? And for me, and, and most people that are listening to this broadcast, whether it be the people that love law enforcement officers, the people that are, you understand the call, the call. And so that word, the call, those words, I follow the call and I answer the call. And uh, we communicated uh, across Oklahoma. And we did very well for grassroots people that uh, had a, a GOP platform stance in one hand and a constitution in the other. And so all I did was communicate, um, you know, what we're supposed to do and even what we weren't doing. And, uh, and people rallied behind that. And so we uh, continued to get a lot of calls. We still do, um, you know, and still I encourage people to, uh, you know, to get involved when you're supposed to and don't worry about the outcome because the outcome is is not relevant. What is relevant is are you willing to say yes to the call? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that, and I know you've talked about this before, but in this, in the age of defunding the police and the vilification yeah. of police, one of the things that we saw during this last two and a half years during the pandemic was police officers who, by the way, I want to remind people, never got to sit home on the couch during the right. shutdown. They were out there in the early days of COVID where we didn't know that much about the virus, how it was spread, things like that. But then we saw a lot of jurisdictions start to mandate an experimental vaccine. And a lot of police officers said no and ended up yeah. being driven off the job or you know, put on leave. You know, as both a police leader and and a doctor, can can you talk about the dangers of and the frustrations of those mandates? Yeah, I experienced that firsthand in my own city, and I you know, from the police end and from the the uh, clinician end, and even from the political end. And I can tell you that, and people need to hear this: those mandates were unconstitutional. They were unlawful. End of discussion. They were not constitutional. Hence. If we as leaders don't know the Constitution that we swear to protect, we're not even qualified to carry that gun. So we need to learn our way through and understand that there's more than just the first, second, and fourth amendments. Stop. There's there's 27 amendments that they didn't know, and the 10th Amendment is pretty darn cool, too. But the bottom line of that, Bessie, is it was very frustrating to me because instead of the police leaders, and I'm talking federal, local, county, city, 
standing up and saying, you know what? I appreciate you giving me that advice, you know, President Yo-Yo, whatever you are. Uh, but the answer is no. Just no, I'm not going to terminate any officer, period. Officers have the choice to do whatever they want. You can stick something in your arm or not. Your choice. You can eat a bag of Cheetos if you want, or you can eat a salad if you want to. Your choice. Um, when I saw that happening back in early 20, 2020, I was shocked. I couldn't believe that that was happening. And I also couldn't believe the other side of the coin that there were churches closing because the government had no authority over the church. I was like, a pastor closing his church because somebody said so? I thought the Bible said we should not stop meeting together. And I thought the First Amendment said we had the right for peaceable assembly. So I, I looked at that and I was blown away. And then I was even third blown away by law enforcement officers actually enforcing, this is kind of a crazy thought, unconstitutional laws. I mean, it was just, everything went insane. But as I say, we need to learn from our mistakes, own our mistakes, repent of those mistakes, and never let it happen again. The old adage goes like this, fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We must never, ever allow that to happen again because it tore this country completely apart. And we're not going to get it back in two years, four years, five years. It's going to take us a decade to get out of this mess. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to it's going to take a generation and, and, you know, during the pandemic, we had uh, the whole George Floyd situation. And then again, the continued vilification of law enforcement yeah. to the point where, uh, you know, a lot of police officers uh, either left for greener pastures or they got out of the profession altogether. Now, you were involved in uh, recruiting and training mm -hmm. of police officers. What do you think American law enforcement needs to do? to recruit young people to this profession, the profession that they see in the media all the time being you know, maligned and lied yeah. about, how are we gonna bring it back? We're gonna have to do that from, a, from both the bottom up and the top down approach. The reason it got vilified, you go back to the Obama administration, he was vilifying cops and authority in that point. Go back to Ferguson, Missouri, that whole incident, right? And you can go back to, to Rodney King before that, you know, the narrative that's been pushed by the media. And I hope people hear this. We hear about, oh, the DOJ has been weaponized. Stop. You know what's been weaponized? The media. The media has been weaponized. And media, you need to hear me, promote goodness as well. Who are you going to call when those when you have a burglary? Who are you going to call when you have a robbery? You're going to call your neighbor? You're going to call the police that you've been bashing on? I'm saying that because we need to stand up from the, the, the top down. The leaders need to start acknowledging the value of law enforcement. And that needs to be from the president on down. The governors, the 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 these so-called fictitious congresspersons. We need to quit being political and begin to value people once again. To be political is to dehumanize authority. Think about that for a moment. And it's a big deal. And I hope people appreciate and honor police officers. We have to do it from the bottom up again. The people need to rise up and understand that police officers should not ever buy a meal again when you see them in a restaurant. Help those brothers and sisters out. And my third approach, and this is super key, and I, I'm a little passionate about that if you'll kind of forgive me there, but the the key point here, Bessie, is that the the local, I'm talking city and county leaders, you need to reach out 
to your greatest antagonist out there, the, the greatest groups out there that really don't like police. You meet with them. You create scenario training for them with your blanks and the whole bit. And you allow them to come in and you have a joint training and see what is learned. Now, don't be um, setting them up for failure, but set it up for a wonderful, awesome learning dialogue. And you work to build bridges. Don't work to burn bridges. So if the local uh, city and state people would do that and we get these nice community partnerships, we would gain that appreciation back. And that would be the three points of emphasis that I would recommend. You know, that is so extraordinary because that's what the National Police Association is all about. We're about helping citizens help yep. support law enforcement. So what you're talking about, basically a mini citizen police academy for yep. those people who truly believe that you're not doing any good, bring them in, let them see us as people and let them see what it is that we deal with, how we help the community, how we deal with use of force issues. That's an extraordinary idea. This is no wonder that you're such a fantastic author, speaker, <laughs> all of that, you and your wife. Tell me where people yeah. can find the books, where where can they find you guys to bring you in? Um, where can they follow you on social media? They can go to one spot, Sherwood.tv and uh we're out there everywhere, and we just want to be a blessing to people. Betsy, um, I will tell you, uh, if we can bless any law enforcement agency, entity, person out there we want to, I was so excited to be on with you. I couldn't stand it because this is one of the areas that, you know, once you're, you're, you bleed blue, you never go back. So people can go to Sherwood.tv, and we'd appreciate the support as well. Thank you so much, Doc, for spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Ma'am, put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.